0: Hey, everyone. It's Hardcore Football. I'm your host, Phil Baki, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, uh... What a match day this was!
1: <laughs> okay, I wasn't expecting it that soon. <laughs> Holy shit. That's awesome. <laughs> if you know, you know.
0: <laughs> uh, how was your weekend?
1: <laughs> oh, God. Um, it, it was good. Watched a lot of football, um... Didn't do a whole lot else honestly um tons of fixtures lately i mean we're we're fully into the uh the festive period as it were, so there's like a game of consequence on every day yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah uh, my my weekend was good uh and yourself
0: yeah yeah good started out started out nicely with the uh, with with the Divacarigi the Divacarigi winner nice. so um yeah it, it was a good weekend um spent some time with family um it was nice to nice to be able to get together uh, as that's been obviously you know relatively rare over the past couple of years so True. um yeah it was good to have the the whole crew together and um yeah just feeling feeling good headed into the into the holiday season but um but yeah uh well if you're finding if you're finding hardcore football for the first time um we're about to talk all the big fixtures from this weekend tons of stuff der are in in the bundesliga and other bundesliga stuff that went on including jesse marsh uh leaving leaving red bull leipzig uh Serie A being just nuts um the Premier League and, and Ralph Rangnick starting at, at United as well as a couple of other significant results, especially in London. Um, and then La Liga, a couple of, couple of things happening at the top of the table. So tons to talk about. Um, and you can find the podcast if you're not already subscribed or following on whatever your platform of choice is. You can um, on any of those big platforms. And you can find us on Twitter at HXCFootball to find even more Random uh just musings uh primarily from mika <laughs> but um yeah you can you can find all our all our takes and whatnot over there, and uh so I mean mika without without further ado, I guess we should dive right in the Bundesliga we haven't talked a ton of Bundesliga this year because it it hasn't been that spicy yet, but right that. That changed pretty significantly this weekend and and it really started with Der Klassiker and and a huge result for Bayern in somewhat controversial circumstances and a and a massive game.
1: Yeah, Der Klassiker as it's called by some. Um Bush Dortmund two, Bayern Munich three at the Westfalenstadion. I mean yeah, we haven't really been able to talk about Bundesliga that much because, in comparison to the other leagues, at least it hasn't been as as wild. But I mean, this one stood out obviously from the page or or the Fatma map if you will. Number one versus number two in the league, um, a a rivalry really that's been you know more to do with table positioning than any historic rivalry really. So. Um, you know, it's marketed as their Klassiker and all that stuff. But uh, it was a good game for the neutrals, especially. Um, yeah. Five goals. I mean, hard to complain about that. Um, and then some spicy uh, <laughs> dialogue <laughs> afterwards from from a certain Englishman, uh, Jude Bellingham. So, yeah. But, I mean, the game itself, like I said, really good. Um, Dortmund came out flying, you know, with the, the first goal. But, I mean, it always seems like Bayern will concede the first one and then just put the hurt on you, and, and yeah. that's kind of what they did. I mean, it, it looks closer on paper than it was, but I actually think Bayern were the better team and deserved to win. Like you said, there was some controversy. I'm sure we get on to that. But, I mean, I do think at the end of the day, this is kind of classic Dortmund against Bayern and that I think Dortmund really contrived to lose the game and to, to beat themselves in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Mats Hummel's shocking, shocking performance from him. I mean, he yeah. passed the ball to Lewandowski for one of the goals. Um, yeah, I think and then of course the handball
0: first. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, not good from him thought Marco Hoyce was really kind of anonymous to mm-hmm. be fair. Um, and, and then Marco Hoza as well sent off. So I mean, <laughs> just nothing, nothing was really going all that right for Dortmund. Um, and um i mean you know on that note i guess the the officiating came into question
0: yeah yeah it was an interesting one um i guess i guess before before we talk <laughs> felix Vire uh, or dr Vire, <laughs> um the uh the goals themselves julian Brons' opener absolutely fantastic uh, yeah. goal. Well taken the touchdown and, and the, the move to get past Alfonso Davies, like uh, just a really well taken goal. But like you said, it's kind of undermined by at the other end, just four minutes later, they have this like absurd moment of quality at one end. And then they have this, this just terrible mix up at the back. Hummels makes a total meal of a, of a long ball over the top. And Lewandowski is through on goal. And I mean, there's obviously only one outcome when Lewandowski is one-on-one with the keeper at at this stage. Um, And I think, I think it does like ultimately kind of define the meat of this game. There's obviously, and we'll, we'll talk the refereeing controversies, but the meat of this game, like you said, is, is this felt classic Bayern versus Dortmund and Dortmund undermining their good work at, the attacking end with just shocking defending in, in a couple of cases. And um, it happened again in that, in that Coman uh, scores through a deflected strike, which, you know, Guerrero like doesn't really clear. And it was sort of a, a, just a hash. He passed
1: it to him. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Like they made a total meal of, of something that probably should have been relatively straightforward. Coman scores via a, a relatively large deflection But then just after halftime, Erling Haaland scores just an absolutely brilliant goal. Yeah. First time curling finish with his right foot. Um, And yeah, again, it's just this dichotomy of Dortmund where they are so good to watch and so fun and so and so just scintillating at times like going forward and some of the quality on display is unreal but the the defense just isn't just isn't up to par and and I think the introduction of Gregor Korbel has been like a bright spot for this Dortmund defense in that they finally have a, a more solid goalkeeping situation maybe but the 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 four in front of them have a lot of question marks at the moment.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, you know, we've spoken on it before that, that the goalkeeping department was something Dortmund needed to desperately address for years. They finally did it with getting Cobell and I, I really rate him. I like him a lot. Um, you know, talk of him succeeding Jan Sommer for the, the Swiss national team. Um, so yeah, he's very talented, but Homo's like he has these games against Bayern and even for Bayern. I think he's played like shockers against Dortmund as well. Like something about this fixture doesn't sit right with him. Um he still can pass the ball with the best of them, but defensively like he doesn't react as fast as he used to. Um some of the decisions and and the situations that he finds himself in like like the handball um mm-hmm. you know they they're just signs of a player in decline, I think. Um, so yeah, I think Dortmund do have to address that back line. The, the problem, or maybe not the problem, but maybe just like a, something to think about with Dortmund is their whole philosophy, uh, especially, you know, with transfers and, and development of young players, like it almost doesn't really lend itself like to that area of the pitch because nobody's fielding like 18 year old center backs, you know, at that level right? and trying to challenge for titles and, and win things and, and, you know, compete in the Champions League. So it's like kind of an odd one there because in that to address that area of the pitch, they kind of have to steer away from what they usually do, you know, in buying young talent. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, it has to be done though. I mean, I think Manuel Kenji's fine, like, but is fine good enough. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Guerrero, like, I mean, he's never been like an excellent defender. You know, you, you have a guy like that for what he brings going forward. Yep. Um, and Munier yeah. has his
0: question marks as well.
1: Munier, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Munier's getting up there. He's 30 years old now. And, you know, not that that's like ancient or anything, but uh, yeah, it's just just another area of the pitch now that now that they've dressed Keeper, they need to look at that back line because, yeah, and then, you know, the, the backup options aren't much better either. I mean, Pongracic, I think, is is pretty green. Um, Nico Schultz has not been good enough, like, in any yeah way i think um so yeah don't have to they they have to address that if they really want to seriously challenge for for the bundesliga again but looks like it's you know byron's to win even though it was one you know first place versus second
0: yeah and i think i think it is as we head into the the refereeing discussion i think it is you know good for me to just highlight that i i also I, I agree with you in that. I think Byron were good value for the win. I think I think more has been made of the controversy um, to downplay the fact that Byron probably deserved to win this game. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I don't think that necessarily, you know, I don't think this undermines that um, on balance, but the refereeing decisions, there were a couple of instances where Dortmund players were upset that things were either not looked at by VAR or Felix Weyer decided that there wasn't enough contact. And, and it was a couple of, of moments. Uh, Royce was one, um, I guess it was, was Holland the other one or
1: it was, um, Hernandez had filed someone in the area and, and, and Holland asked, why? Uh, why didn't you look at it? And He said, "There's no need." Right. Um and to which Holland said, "He was very arrogant." <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I. Yeah. The. I guess there was some some officiating controversy. I think there probably should have been a penalty for 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 Dortmund, but I I don't think this would have changed the outcome. I think Bayern would have found a way to win regardless, mm-hmm. um, because Bayern uh, Dortmund never led again after right. the. Uh, after the uh, opener, so... Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we got to talk about what Jude Bellingham said. Because it was per- probably the spiciest thing I've heard a player <laughs> say. And, like, given his age and that he's, like, English. Like, I don't know. There's a lot to this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, Jude Bellingham came out after the game and brought up the accusation... Or not even accusations. I guess the the story that... uh Felix Veyer was part of a match fixing scheme back in Mm. 2005, I think, um, or Oh four Oh five. Um, and he brought that up and basically called into question, like his integrity and the fact that he could have been fixing this match essentially, uh, like by (laughs) virtue of, of fixing these previous matches, which not to not to endorse anything that Felix Fire has previously done and it, uh, there's like a separate conversation about whether or not he should still be refereeing like if sure. he's been implicated in these things or or you know found guilty of these things um, but <laughs> Jude has has crossed the line here I think um I think so I I just think it's not I, I think the idea of like implying that he's match fixing after like that is, we've seen plenty of, you know, managers and, and I, maybe not players as often, but we've seen plenty of managers who, if they call like the integrity of the referee into question, they're sanctioned pretty heavily. Um, right. yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I know there were reports that the German police and the, and the, uh DFB were were both investigating the comments and I think the DFB ended up asking Jude for written clarification of his statement um as really part of their that. investigation <laughs> yeah I don't think he left anything <laughs> to the imagination sure. um but yeah, yeah. I th- I I think I I don't think he I really don't think that he should have said that um in that form because it's it's also not jude's job um as a player in in the match to like to have to take that sort of stand like against the referee leave that to the manager leave that like it's just not if you want to make comments about the fact that you thought that you deserved more out of the game and that there were a couple of instances where you think that X should have been checked by VAR or something like that. That's fine. Um, but kind of openly attacking the referee is just, I don't know. It just seems like it's like, dude, just kind of stay in your lane, man. Like this isn't sure. really, this isn't really your fight to fight.
1: Which I mean, like, again, I think it highlights what we sometimes forget about Jude Bellingham is he's literally 18 years old. He plays like a grown man, but he is a child. Um, And that's not to to excuse him. Um, I just, I can see 18 year old me saying something stupid like that. Granted, never on (laughs) as big a a stage. sure, Uh, But um, yeah, I mean, there probably will be consequences for that. And I don't think he would be surprised. Um, I think it was definitely heat of the moment type thing um obviously you know emotions run high it's a huge match the yeah. biggest match in german football arguably um yeah. not balanced and yeah i i i agree i think he did cross the line but i mean as from the entertainment perspective of, like <laughs> <laughs> have me roll in i'm not going like, to
0: lie <laughs> wwe vibes <laughs> like um and and i think like i i think to the other thing to really put out there in all this is I think I think the because a lot of people were pointing to Byron's penalty as mm. potentially being so I don't think this is borderline at all I think it's I think it's I think a it's penalty a all day I, <laughs> it's like a
1: handball he
0: punches the ball away with his for like with his elbow basically uh like
1: well and and the arm is in an unnatural position I mean yeah just you know you you have to be responsible for that I, yeah. I didn't I didn't find it controversial during the match either I mean no the, the only thing that annoyed me was the relative length of the review but I was like oh yeah that's that's handball I don't know what to tell you
0: Yeah it seemed like they got the decision right in the end and I think you can have the certainly the Dortmund camp would be like upset about the other two but I don't I don't know that they have much to complain about in the in the Hummel's decision so all yeah. in all I I didn't like I was kind of surprised that the refereeing performance was so Heavily criticized post match, um, because watching the game, I I just didn't. I didn't see it. I didn't as, feel that, and that yeah. that
1: shows you how like influential players can be in shaping these discussions. Because yeah, I didn't feel that. Yeah, like huge sense of injustice while watching it.
0: I think Marco Rosa actually shapes it pretty intensely too by being sent off, and I'm sure whatever he was yelling like during the match probably had some impact on what the players said about the decisions after, um, he
1: was heated, yeah, he almost yeah. got into it with his own assistant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had to, to be like, back.
0: he had to be like dragged off. Um, Jeez. but yeah, so Bayern, by virtue of that, they, they grab all three points, um, and, and are, they've created a little bit of distance at the top of the table. Um, but still only through 14 matches. So still 20 to play in the Bundesliga and, and only a four point gap, between um by between Byron and Dortmund in second. Interesting fact about Dortmund, um, 10 wins, four losses this year. They have not drawn a game yet.
1: Wow. Okay. So all or nothing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Um But potentially like an even bigger storyline in the US at least uh this this past weekend was RB Leipzig after their defeat at the Forest uh Union Berlin defeated them 2-1 and they announced that they were parting ways with manager Jesse Marsh um, they he spent four months in charge at the club uh, sacked before Christmas and somewhat of a departure for for the Red Bull system as they have often used these sort of succession pl- this succession planning and having ready-made replacements for their managers who ultimately move on to other jobs much as they do on the playing side where they have players identified either in their um in their other clubs like somewhere in their system or outside scouting which we know is very extensive um, so this is a little bit of a departure for them but Jesse Marsh departing and there was a lot of discussion online like pretty much immediately and this happens when an American loses their job in international and you know European soccer in particular um, there's a lot of discussion immediately about whether or not it was like if he was Amer or if he wasn't American, would this still be happening? Um, which I think it. I just want to be like to cut through most of this and say that, that Jesse Marsh's position is, or this move from Red Bull is not based on the fact he's American. It's purely based on his performance.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think you know we've spoken about kind of the the job that he's done in these four months um, at, at RB Leipzig. Yes, he came into a bit of a challenging position. I mean, you know Diopa, Meccano, Ibrahim, Konate both left. Marcel Sabitzer left to you know the best club in, in Germany, but Leipzig spent heavily in the summer. You know Andre Silva, Illesch Moriba made Angelino permanent. Um, mm-hmm you know, reinforced with Cavardio and Simicon in, in defense. I mean, young players, but still definitely better than, where are they right now? 11th?
0: Yeah. Uh, below 11th ba- of the
1: table. Below Bochum. Newly promoted Bochum. Yeah. yeah. Um, You know, not good enough. And that that's kind of what uh, Oliver Mitzlaff said when, you know, they announced that they were mutually parting ways. Um, You know, to Marsha's credit, they did have a couple impressive um results, most notably the 2-1 over Borussia Dortmund, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, just wasn't consistent enough. I mean, they started the the season with, I think, three straight losses, and, you know, the second comes with four losses on the balance, including one to, to Union Berlin on Friday, so yeah. um, I don't think that him being American has anything to do with him having lost his job. Um, it's just, I think Leipzig, are, Leipzig definitely want to be, you know, challenging for a Champions League place every season, if not the title. Yeah. Um, that is what they've been built to do, to be fair. Um, and he wasn't meeting those expectations. Yeah. So, um, that does that mean he's a terrible manager? No, I'm sure he'll land on his feet somewhere. I mean, they're talking about him going to Manchester United. So, which maybe we'll get on to, but
0: RB Manchester. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, no, I, I totally agree. I think, I mean, I think the comments that, uh, that Oliver Mintzlaff said who the CEO of, of RB, RB Leipzig, um, the comments that he had about Jesse Marsh in the announcement that they were, that they were parting ways were extremely complimentary. Like, I think they do regard him very highly. And the, the, the fact that he was the successor to Nagelsmann who was obviously highly successful in his in his short term. Yeah, well, I say highly successful. He qualified for the Champions League both his seasons at, at RB Leipzig. He, you know, got the Bayern Munich job off the back of his performance there. Um, yeah. And I I think Marsh being the the heir apparent to that is a very high compliment and of how they think about him. Um, in that setup i just think that in the situation that he came into where he was trying to assert his style he was trying to win over this group of players and whether it is the fault of him or the fault of the group not being able to adapt or not being willing to accept him like as the leader uh it just didn't take. And it's, it's unfortunate. And I think a lot of people are turning it into like a referendum on American managers abroad when that's not, it's not really what it is. um, Because it's one individual in one situation and it has nothing to really do with whether Americans can, can hack it. Um, But I think like, in this situation, it'll be extremely interesting to see where he goes. If he ends up at United and as part of Rangnick's setup that, you know, that certainly like kind of puts him back in the mix of um, potential managerial jobs in the future. um, If he's, you know, assisting at, at United and um, yeah, I think he'll, he'll definitely land on his feet. He's relatively young. He's not quite 50. So he's obviously got, you know, plenty of time ahead of him in his career. And uh it'll be interesting to see where he goes. It's just unfortunate that it went this way. Um slight shout out to to Union and Taiwo Iwoni scores again. He's got nine goals in the Bundesliga this season.
1: Nigerian scoring goals? No way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been great.
0: Um the last big result in the Bundesliga this weekend, and I'm sorry that I have to talk about this, um, but Christian Strike and Freiburg, questions had started to be asked about, about Freiburg. They had lost three in a row. They went to Gladbach and won 6-0. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well,
1: look, we have to give Freiburg their flowers because despite the, the three losses on the spin, they're still fourth. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. Um, yeah. And you know, like you said, back to winning ways with applause, having just bodied Gladbach at home six nil. Um, this is really disappointing from the Borussia Mönchengladbach standpoint, obviously, not only for this result in itself, but the context in which this result was, um, you know, handed to, to Gladbach and that they just lost the Ryan Darby for one as well against Killen. Yeah. So... It's just not going right now. Right now, for, for Adi Hutter's men, that the set piece defending is what is really like just shocking. Yeah. Um, set piece defending and and just the inability to deal with pressure. Feiberg were putting Gladbach to the sword like right from the off. Uh, never really let up after that. Um, and that's not to say that Gladbach's season has been like a total shambles. It's just been very inconsistent. I mean, they they beaten Dortmund they throttle Bayern in the Pokal. Um, yeah. you know, they're, they're <laughs> beating teams. They should be beating like Bochum, like fort. Um, but yeah, just, just very inconsistent. Um, and they just need to work on that set piece defending. I can't watch it anymore. It's awful.
0: Yeah. That, that was the shocking part. I think was that it, it was essentially every time that Freiburg had some sort of attacking set piece, it turned into a goal. Um, and that was <laughs> just, Yeah that sort of conversion rate. I think I think too on a on a couple of the goals there's those kind of troubling scenes like right after the goal where all of Gladbox players are kind of looking at each other and yelling like about and pointing and mm-hmm. there's just a lot it just seems like there's a lot of confusion <laughs> in those moments. Right. When those are sort of I mean set piece defending is the only chance you get to defend from like a planned situation? Like it's you're not right. reacting to anything the offense is doing S- specifically. You're you know you have your assignments and you just need to carry them out. Um, and right. and yeah, it was it was troubling. I think for Gladbach that they that they were so vulnerable and they continued to be vulnerable. Um, the weird thing about this game is that Gladbach like weren't. <laughs> This is going to sound so stupid, but they weren't bad otherwise. <laughs> like, I don't, like, like, it wasn't, I don't know, like watching the rest of the game, they created some decent chances. And I think everything was so out of whack by the time the rest of the game occurred that, like, it kind of made it almost un- or like irrelevant to and to analysis because it, the, the scoreline was so lopsided at one point that it, or, you know, within the first 25 minutes, there's five goals. And it's like, how do you even look at the rest of this game? Like when it's five right. now already. Right. Um, so it was, it was strange because it still seems like I still like a lot of the things that Gladbach does. mm-hmm I like a lot of the players. I like a lot of the the capabilities that they bring to the table, but they were just so undermined by kind of the, the, the fundamentals of defending um, and some of just getting beat to the second ball and just, you know, being slow to react to what Freiburg was doing and, and being slow coming out of the blocks that it, it kind of, you know, it, that is what has taken away from, from Gladbox. otherwise, like, there's really exciting things about this Gladbach team, and and they've just been, especially these last couple of games, they've been undone by sort of the the fundamentals of the game rather than anything, uh, you know, about the way that they're set up or the way they, right, yeah, so. yeah, just
1: a lot of like the simple things that they that the team as footballers should know, regardless of manager, but. They have a chance to put it right against RB Leipzig, but they historically are not good against RB Leipzig. <laughs> and you know, I can will be the interim manager, um and maybe they'll get new manager bounce and just, you know, blow Gladbach away. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs>
0: um elsewhere just going around the Bundesliga briefly. Um hoffenheim beat eintracht three two in um again eintracht just continuing the spotty form and hoffenheim moving up to fifth with that win so just outside the champions league places and and looking good value this season um they've actually put together a decent run um and uh Bochum got a a vital vital win uh against Augsburg. Good good three points for Bochum. Um Bayer Leverkusen put bottom of the table for to the sword 7-1. Um Patrick Schick had four goals in this one. Um and is second getting in getting
1: th- bodied by everyone <laughs> yeah, for,
0: I do feel bad for for because they they just they're just completely out of their depth. Like they just uh, which is strange because I think they actually went up in second place, um, right in the Vita Bundesliga. So yeah, one of those weird things where they just they just don't belong. I think they are still awaiting.
1: They have not won yet. They have
0: not won, <laughs> and they have I think just the still the one point. Yeah, yeah, just a solitary draw, thirteen losses um, through fourteen, and a minus thirty-four goal difference. So, yeah, it's it's a long long season remaining for for um on their journey towards the inevitable return to the Zweite Bundesliga unfortunately. <laughs> um, Bielefeld and and Kohn drew 1-1. Somewhat remarkable result. Mainz beat Wolfsburg 3-0 um in Mainz and Mainz are quietly 7th in the Bundesliga. Um and just a couple of points between Hoffen, uh, between them and Hoffenheim in fifth. So Mainz putting together something pretty impressive, given the fact that last season they barely avoided being relegated.
1: Right, yeah. That is actually really impressive. Good for them.
0: Uh, Hertha Berlin came back from a 2-0 deficit in Stuttgart to to draw 2-2, a brace from Steven Jovetic. Uh, saved a point for them, and... Heartbreaking for Stuttgart because three points there would have been, would have been really nice in a season where they they're just a point above Augsburg, uh, who are sitting in the relegation playoff place, and Stuttgart have been missing their best players for the better part of you know or the first third of the season.
1: Yeah, another American manager potentially under pressure, but yeah, I think more mitigation there for Stuttgart. To be fair,
0: yeah, and Vumpa back now, but Kalajic may be back middle of this month from this like shoulder injury he's had. So um so maybe Stuttgart in for a is it the Rook runda, the second half of the Bundesliga yeah. season. Maybe they're maybe they're in for a little bit of a bounce. But um but as we said, Bayern Dortmund, and Leverkusen at the top of the table Leverkusen still a pretty significant gap there. Freiburg uh remained fourth. Hoffenheim fifth and Union in sixth, and then um yeah, RB Leipzig in eleventh, Eintracht. It, this is crazy the size of clubs that are sitting like bottom half of the table in the Bundesliga. RB Leipzig, Eintracht, and Munchen Gladbach are eleventh, twelfth, and thirteenth. Um, which is just <laughs> insane. Um and uh Augsburg in the in the relegation playoff place and then Armenia and, and Fort Um in the in the relegation places, so um, yeah, the Bundesliga hotting up a bit, as we said, and 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 uh, yeah. but now Bayern creating a little bit of distance between between them and Dortmund at the top. Speaking of title races hotting up, though, Serie A. This
1: one's been hot.
0: It's been hot, but it's getting hotter because it's
1: getting hotter, and it's probably <laughs> like the only like one left arguably well Premier League
0: Premier, but, L- Premier yeah. League is still nice and spicy <laughs> uh luckily yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. get we'll get on that on
1: the continent I'll say
0: but similar to the Premier League and maybe actually a little bit a little bit different from the Premier League because uh there are four teams now involved in this title race um and Beautiful. that is by virtue of Atalanta's 3-2 win in the Maradona sta- stadium uh, in Naples um, this yeah this was the match of the weekend for me
1: it was great it was great um i mean you see these two this is one of those fixtures that like actually delivers like what you're imagining is going to be like because <laughs> <laughs> when i hear napoli at atalanta i'm like yes goals like let's go and yeah, yeah Nap- napoli 2 atalanta 3 like you said Five straight wins in the league for Atalanta after we thought that maybe the magic was a little bit, you know, like wearing off a bit. No, no such thing. Yeah. Um, they're dominating. To be fair to Nobili, they've been really unlucky with injuries lately. I mean, just looking at the injury list quickly, Victor Osamán, of course. Yeah. Zambo Angisa, who's absolutely crucial. Yeah. Koulibaly, Manolas, the two starting center backs, um, if they had their way. Fabian Ruiz... <sighs> Another very talented midfielder, one that yeah. cannot get a Spain call up to save his life. I don't know why. Um, so they're having, you know, they're having to revert to maybe like a sorry style play of play where Dries Martins is kind of interpreting that nine position, if you will. He's not really a, an out-and-out number nine, but um, scoring a ton of goals. Piotr yeah. Zelinski as well, scoring goals from midfield. Um, I think Lozano probably needs to step up a little bit to get, you know, to get matches like this over the line. So, yeah, Napoli have been really unlucky. I hope it doesn't derail their title challenge because if there's anyone that needs to, like, win it, like, soon or maybe not have a chance of winning it ever, you know, again, maybe that's a little bit dramatic. But I think, you know, that team would be Napoli.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this this match is is fascinating for for that reason i think because napoli actually respond to having a lot of players out and respond to the specifically the uh the hardship of missing your top goal scorer who was absolutely flying they respond quite yeah. well to that um but Atalanta came out of the blocks in this one, absolutely flying, and I think like I think the thing that's impressing me about Atalanta is when they started this winning streak, and even throughout the the Champions League games and and all those things, it felt like they were starting to get really reliant on Duvan Zapata, who is in really good form, like playing that just classic number nine back to goal like getting other people involved in the play and then finishing off the move and being that being that guy who was bailing them out this match for me like other people came to the forefront and atalanta as a team just played extremely well duvan zapata being obviously a huge part of that but the goals coming from malinovsky the 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 Two quick fire goal or relatively, you know, either side of halftime Napoli take the lead. Um, and then in the 66 minute, Mary Demerall makes a late run from center back into the area. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about <laughs> late like- runs from midfielders, but this was something else entirely
1: this was yeah overlapping center backs it would have made chris walder proud um, <laughs> yeah he like makes a run up the right wing like something you would expect one of their wing backs to do yeah i don't know how he ends up there and and as he's taking the shot i think it was uh, one of the feeds the the commentators like Demiral, what's he doing there? Goal, (laughs) (laughs) and it was a really good strike. Really good. Um, And the fact that he's at Atalanta, just like put the clown makeup on Juventus. Like I don't know what's going on there, but uh, as
0: if they couldn't use a center back potentially.
1: Yeah. As if they couldn't use some quality in their squad, but you know, yeah, that was, that was a really good goal. Probably my favorite one center back, cause, yeah. you know, center back score headers and stuff, but he like thumped that into the yeah. roof of the net and it was just really, really nice.
0: And it wasn't, it, it's one of those crazy things where you think like, okay, center back stays forward from a set piece or something like that. This was in the run of play. He makes it, he makes a run underneath into the box and, and, a through ball is played to Demerel to run onto and, and yeah, he roofs it past Ospina. Um, just and, like, and
1: that's the, that's the thing about Atalanta is they can hurt you in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and you kind of just have to like, take a lot of those hits if you want to have a have a shot at beating them because they they will score goals i mean you can't deny them so
0: yeah and and i think they've added an edge and maybe the united games have informed these a little bit because they obviously they they had trouble getting out of those games despite having leads or or trying to hang on to results um and i think they've added an edge of seriousness like from those Uh, those those experiences have have pained them to the point of of yeah just getting seeing out even the last you know seeing out the last 20 minutes of a game you might say like oh okay they take the lead on 71 minutes there's not that much time for Napoli to get back into it Napoli in the the San Paolo like the (laughs) the Maradona that is a very tough atmosphere to see out 20 minutes in so For I think sure. that's a huge credit after Remo Freuler's goal, which is also a very well worked like that's a a team goal like in yeah. it in its. I think every Atalanta player touches the ball practically in um, route and the side foot, the way it just kind of glides in, um, yeah, just a, a a fantastic goal. But seeing out the remaining you know nineteen minutes in stoppage time in Napoli, that's. Easier said than done, and I think Atalanta have done themselves a, like have given themselves a lot of credit by by getting the win here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I um, just hope both these teams continue to to be in the upper reaches because uh, they're just they're just both just box office.
0: Yeah, it's it's crazy too. As it it sent this you know this Napoli squad had not lost up up until a couple of weeks ago. Um and they they have two losses now. It's sent the title race into just absolute chaos where AC Mil- Milan, who's been like kind of up and down recently, they've won their last two, but they lost two going into that. Um, yeah. They're on 38 points. Inter Milan is on 37 points. Napoli's on 36 points, and Atalanta's on 34 points. Like four points separating the top four. Um, this is... Legitimately, like we have a four-horse title race in in Serie A, and Juventus we, is
1: not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that's petty, but I, I love it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's just great to see. And this was, like you said, one of those matches where big billing, huge expectations, and oftentimes, like they don't live up to those. And this absolutely did. It was just a classic. um in in Naples so um just lovely to see two two heavyweights like go at it and come away you know and Atalanta coming away with the three points is is absolutely massive for them um as they look to get back into into the conversation at the top of the table because I mean gosh I won't even let myself think about it really but what a story if the scudetto went to bergamo unbelievable oh
1: my goodness and then they wear the scudetto on their kit for the season in the new stadium <sighs> wow oh <my>.
0: yeah <laughs> well traveling a little bit we we were in we were in naples we're now casting casting our minds to to the northeast uh and venice um the stage for as Venezia described it, a Shakespearean level tragedy um, between two Shakespearean cities, Venice and Verona. Um,
1: uh, this is a Venetian derby as well. It
0: so. is, yeah. The yeah. Uh, <laughs> Venezia three, Hellas Verona four. Mika, this <laughs> this really was Shakespearean, like in the in the. Heights of drama and and the the dagger to the heart of of venezia
1: yeah the the Pierluigi Penzo was in you know delirium for first three goals, obviously um and then it just all went terribly terribly wrong um, <laughs> you know, I really thought Venezia were gonna do something here because they faced adversity early in this one. David O'Koreke gets injured in the seventh minute, and we know he's been crucial for them—arguably their best attacker. That yeah. another Nigerian forward showing out in Europe. Um, so he gets injured, but then they 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 crack on from there and, and end up scoring three goals. Um, and you think finally things are starting to click there. Venezia have always, you know, they've shown that they're they're brave. It just hasn't always matched with results. But this one, you thought, okay, maybe this is like a turning point, and they'll they'll get comfortable. Um, in Serie a and it Verona just we're not having it um, I had tweeted and I probably cursed it as I always do that you know <laughs> jo- Giovanni Simeone you know for him gone through a little bit of drought three games without scoring scores two in this one and you know one of them's like just gorgeous um, <laughs>
0: both these goals are so good because he yeah he has the chip for the fir- for the first that equalizes at 3-3 Yep. and you're thinking like good enough or whatever, but there's still 20 minutes to play. Verona have an extra man, and yeah, Gio pops up with a just absolute banger from yeah. about 27, 30 yards somewhere in there. Um, yeah, and and he top ends.
1: He's going under the radar for me. I think everyone's like, you know, twerking for Dusan Vlahovic, and that's fine. But Giuseppe Simeone, like, put some respect on his name as well because he's playing really, really well. Yeah. Um, you know, for a Hellas Verona team that I don't think are expected to really like push anyone for for Europe or anything like that. But I mean, he's dragging them to a lot of results. Um, and he's just incredible. And he's he's been all over the, Italy. I mean, Fiorentina, he stopped at Cagliari too. So, um, yeah, seemingly found his place in, in Verona. But poor Venezia, man. Like, how do you blow a three-goal lead? I mean, there's definitely a naivete there, obviously, that, yeah. that you know, an, a Serie A, seasoned Serie A sides probably would not fall victim to. But right. um, it's just painful. <laughs> it's really painful for them.
0: Yeah, this is a – it's a brutal – brutal result um because they were flying at halftime up 3-0 in a derby and and to Mm -hmm. go down um in the manner that they did it it is just absolutely brutal especially given the fact that every single point for venezia this season is so vital um yeah and so Yeah. yeah with with that they they dropped to 16th um on 15 points, still a decent amount of distance. There's five points between them and the drop. So they, they still have a, a bit of distance, but three points would have been, would have been absolute gold. They would have actually gone up to 14th. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah. So, so not being able to, to land those three points, just absolutely brutal. And uh, yeah, the Simeonis they, they only know one way. And that is, that is the path of violence.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true <laughs> I wonder if he'll force his way into the Argentina setup because I think they could use another option from from Lautaro Martinez and he's a bit a little different of a player but could offer something so
0: yeah yeah that, no that's an interesting shout it'll be interesting to see if if he's able to to get some some caps for Argentina especially as they get closer to to the world cup um yeah but yeah absolutely stunning strike to seal the victory for for verona here from from simeone if you haven't watched it do yourself a favor because it's it's unbelievable um elsewhere in Serie A, ac milan like did did their job against learn Natana 2-0 um the other match that would have been box office and and is box office still, but is box office for not so much like what's happening on the field. Uh, Inter three Roma nil <laughs> in Rome. Um, Jose Mourinho is fully evolved into third season Mourinho in just his fourth month at at Roma.
1: He has, but. And and I don't know. I, I, I this could be like the dreaded vote of confidence, or they could be like completely serious. But Roma's higher ups have come out and said like we're happy with him. Like he, we're planning for January, and we we keep going. <laughs> it's like okay, well, like I guess. I mean, I don't. I didn't expect them to get three points over Inter. To be fair, no. but I was expecting a fight. I guess. Yeah. I think Inter have the best squad in Italy. So. um, I mean that says something I think But yeah, yeah Romar just and, and even with all the struggles Romar is 7th So I mean yeah, It's I don't know I it's, think maybe it it's, seems a little bit worse Than it actually is because of, of Jose's histrionics And yeah. shocking comments But yeah
0: <laughs> By far the comment Of the weekend uh, Flexing on a reporter for Making more money than them Um <laughs>
1: yeah i make too much money for this
0: shit like (laughs) uh, yeah just well
1: francesco totti was at the game and he said you know if you're you're not a rome roma supporter if you don't suffer and so there you go
0: so he's yeah he's right there with them um Fiorentina won three, two exciting game against Bologna. Um, and, uh, I get, you know, Vlahovic scores again, this time from the penalty spot, but it does prove to be the winner. Um, as Bologna tried to fight back late on, but, but couldn't muster quite enough to, to get a draw there. So, uh, um, shout
1: out Lucas Toredo, by the way, he's playing very well for Fiorentina. So,
0: yeah. And Fiorentina sitting, sitting in, uh, Sixth. yeah, I, th- yeah, they're level on points with Juve at the moment. If I uh, yep, 6th and by a single goal on goal difference, um Juve in 5th. So, um so yeah, Fiorentina actually just putting together a really impressive season so far. Uh Sassuolo disappointing um in after a really great result against AC Milan. Um they come back down to earth with a 2-2 draw against Spezia and that is just like Sassuolo to a T where they <laughs> are full of these like stunning players with unbelievable quality that seem to show up for the big moments and then um just can't get the results that they that they should get against like lower opposition
1: um I still think Sassuolo is one of those ones too that's Worth paying attention to if you can get past the Vlahovic kind of storylines, because I think Scamaca is a really interesting player, yeah. um, and could be an option for Italy as a as a, a number nine. You know, because Bellotti and um, Immobile have had you know varying performances for yeah. for Italy. So Skamaka is a really interesting player, and and Domenico Berardi as well, of course.
0: Yeah. Um Lazio arrested their three game winless streak um with a 3-1 win at Sampdoria. Um and uh they actually went down to 10 in this one, but were able to to see it out. Gabbiadini grabbed the lone goal for sampdoria, milinkovic savage, and chiro mobili. unsurprisingly, the scores for for Lazio. Um Juve beat Andres- Shevchenko's Genoa 2-0, and um, this was remarkable only for the fact that Genoa became the first club or the first team in Europe's top five leagues to not register a shot in a game. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> How do you do that? Zero shots. Wow.
0: Yeah. So. Wow. Um, yeah. Shevchenko's tenure at Genoa, um, not off to the greatest start to be fair. Um, and they're, they're in pretty bad shape. So it'll be interesting to see, to see what continues to happen there. Uh, Empoli got a three, one win against Udinese and Empoli who are newly promoted, looked really good value for it and are 11th, um, level on points with Verona. So, um, they're looking quite comfortable compared to their um, other newly promoted companions um, in, in Venezia and uh, obviously Salernitana, who are propping up the table. So, um, so yeah, good, good value for that. And then Cagliari and Torino fought out to a one, one draw. João um, Pedro, shout out to João Pedro. He scored an unbelievable Chilena in this one. Um,
1: oh yes. Yeah. 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 yeah
0: the equalizer for Cagliari so um so yeah Serie A at the moment um as we said tight title race at the top Milan Inter Napoli Atalanta and then Juve and Fiorentina hovering outside of that top four but it does seem like there's a bit of a a gap emerging um those top four contenders and then um Juve and Fiorentina are gonna be looking for their opportunities to break in. Um and then the Rome the Capital line clubs uh seventh and eighth, Roma and Lazio. Um and then down at the bottom Venezia sixteenth, Spezia seventeenth, Cagliari, Genoa and Salernitana. Um yeah Salernitana looking looking like Serie Serie Bay is the destination, but um still Still, a lot of time. It's not quite as bad of a situation as fair, Uh, to be fair, so that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, the more more big stuff is to come. Um. And we're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk Premier League again and La Liga stuff. Welcome back to Hardcore Football, Mika. Um, our f- our favorite club to talk about. In the Premier League, Manchester United, uh, (laughs) a new, a new era, (laughs) a new era started. Uh, Ralph Rangnick uh, is the interim manager um, officially now and took charge of his first match. uh, Manchester United's 1-0 win over Crystal Palace at Old Trafford. Tons made of this move, obviously, and a lot of speculation about whether Rangnick was Picking the team from afar Before he even took charge Um He picks an unchanged side From the one that That Carrick picked Against Arsenal Um And uh And United do Get the three points So what What did you make Of Of this performance From United In their first match Under Under Ralph
1: Yeah I thought they deserved To win Um Crystal Palace They 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 were they just didn't take enough dangerous shots and and yeah. they look like the palace of like old not of old but just like what you expect palace to play like it looks like Christian Benteke's come down to earth a little bit uh I use not really scoring um Zaha couldn't really make an impact so um just kind of lackluster from palace but I think United were really good they took a ton of shots um and cristiano ronaldo was pressing which like <laughs> i'm sorry didn't, i'm sorry to laugh but it's like wow like they these guys really wanted to impress the new manager and i think they did and fred for you know all the the conversation around him impactful again scores a really really lovely goal it's a great goal um, yeah and he was like the center of attention to against Arsenal for better and for worse. Um, he, sure. he definitely makes his presence known in, in both these matches. So um, great goal. Uh, and yeah, I think it's, it's as good a start as you can get. I mean, maybe they would have wanted to score a little bit more, but um, they looked like they wanted to impress the new manager and that they, they have something to prove. And this is a talented squad all up and down it. So, yeah. Um, you know, rank certainly has a lot to work with.
0: Yeah, I think um the quality the quality is certainly there. I think I think to the willingness to introduce Dallo for Wan Basaka who would have been considered I guess undroppable like previously. Um the fact that they, you know, Rangnick has clearly made it well, he's made it obvious that he's going to make the decisions that he thinks are best, Um, which up until this point, like no one could be sure that the manager was actually making the decisions on team selection, (laughs) like as, as crazy as that sounds. And I think what is, what has become clear with, with putting Rangnick in place and, also giving him the the keys to the larger structure of the club like um going forward and him being in a sporting director type role like after his his interim manager uh role is up i think it's just becoming a lot like them handing the keys to ralph is such a positive step for united because they are admitting finally that what they've been doing is, has not been effective like in the broader structure. Um, so giving him the short term impact on the pitch or, you know, on the touchline, um, while also impacting their kind of larger structure as a club, I think they're, they're taking the right steps. Um, and I think you could see a couple of players in particular just seemed really energized by the change. And I think Jaden Sancho in particular is that that guy who really stood out uh, in terms of just it feels like he's been given a little bit of a new lease on life at, at Manchester United. And uh, obviously, I think most of football fandom will be happy to see a Jaden Sancho who's thriving. Um, because I think you actually may have said this (laughs) on Twitter, but, uh, but just football is better if the likes of, of Sancho are, are playing well, like the the quality on display is, is better. So, um, this was i i will say i think there's still a long road ahead of this squad in terms of of playing in the manner that rangnick will will expect and and playing to the system that he wants to that he wants to impose so i don't think it's going to be linear necessarily in terms of like every single game is going to show progression and it's just going to get better and better for united i do think there's there's a road ahead of them um and this is going to be very much a work in progress for a little bit of time but the quality in the squad feels like there's been a, a a jolt um and whether it just ends up being a new manager bounce or the start of a new era of prosperity at united it you know remains to be seen but the early signs are are positive for United, for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you pretty much covered it all there. Let's just see where, where they go down the stretch. I guess, like, uh, what is the immediate kind of expectation, do we think? I mean, just a, a Champions League place? I don't know that there can really maybe be in the title mix. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think that feels like a bridge too far at the moment. And I mean, the reality of the situation is, I mean, they are, they're below Spurs um, right now. So they, they do have, they do have a lot of ground to make up um, to even get back in the, in the mix. They're three points from West Ham um, in, Mm. in fourth. So they, that's obviously, I, I'd say that's got to be the goal. Yeah. um, In the short term. But I, I think, for where this United team was at and kind of what they were staring at potentially the I don't, I don't think, you know, for as much as United fans probably memed Arsenal for, for all those years for celebrating fourth place finishes. I think United would do well to finish fourth um, this year, especially with city Liverpool and Chelsea kind of in the, the just having created that gap already, um, there's a a pretty, they're in a
1: mini league of their own. Yeah. A little bit. (laughs) So I think, I
0: think United finishing fourth would, would, I think they'd celebrate that and be, and I think they'd be within their rights to, to be happy with fourth.
1: All right. Yeah, that's fair.
0: The, there was some mix up though, um, at the top of the table as, as, uh, Chelsea traveled to the london stadium and and uh West Ham handed out a a three two loss to the 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 leaders at the time um which saw the leaders in the Premier League then change twice before the day was over um and uh but Chelsea sunk it by the hammers uh three two um this was another like really good game the the ending was pretty freakish uh but the the game itself as it played out was was really entertaining for the for the neutral
1: yeah yeah I know it was really good lots of shots were being taken it was very back and forth uh obviously a lot of talent on the pitch of course um West Ham really feel like there's like there's this aura around them where they're they're kind of like creating their own luck by this kind of buccaneering style of play and the bravery that they're showing game in game out. And, and the Masuaku swerving that one into, into the net <laughs> at the death. I, there's no shot. He meant that, right? I mean,
0: <laughs> no, no, I don't think so.
1: <laughs> it's,
0: it looks like he's going to whip in across and he fools everybody, including, including Mendy. In Mendy's,
1: Mendy's body position is totally like, not what you would, like, it, the eye test tells you, like, no, that's not what you're supposed to be doing there, but because he was expecting the cross, so yeah. he's not squares of the shot, and, yeah, it just completely fools him. So, you know, on another day, maybe this ends in a draw, and we're saying, you know, fair enough, or, or maybe we're criticizing Chelsea even for that, but um on the Chelsea side of things, I mean, there, I've been saying all season that I don't really trust Chelsea. I think that there is something about this team that, despite all the talent and despite having arguably the best squad, you know, depth wise in, in the premier league, there's something about them that I just don't quite trust. And I think it's in the attack. I think it's in the goal scoring department. I think they really make a lot out of scoring goals. Like I, I trust them to defend well for sure. Mm-hmm. And to, to keep their shape and to, to play as a team and play and be very organized. Like a Thomas Tuchel side is, um, but Goal scoring wise, I just don't trust it. And I, I don't know that it's sustainable. And we know Timo Werner's struggles are are well documented. I think he's found a a way to use Timo in, in terms of creating space, but now the, you know, nearly 100000000 million pound man, Romelu Lukaku, is not even seeing the pitch to start. And that's concerning. Um and he he looks somewhat average. Um and I think that you know, last season we were calling Lukaku one of the best strikers on the planet because he was. Yeah. Um, but also I think we need to put some respect on Antonio Conte and what he's done for Lukaku in his career, and you know, now that he's moved on from from him, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe Tuchel and him are not. I don't know. They don't have that same kind of synergy, I guess, or or the setup is is arguably not right for for Lukaku and his style of play. So that's just a little bit of concern there, I think, for Chelsea.
0: Yeah. It. I think. The other the other thing about this match in particular is it's it is really tough if Chelsea get two goals, the way this team is set up, like they kind of have to win that, um, yeah. Because two goals is that's about like their cap uh, in in a game, <laughs> like it, unless they're yeah. playing Norwich, um, they uh, <laughs> they seem to struggle to score more than two. So I think. In these sorts of matches, um, it's it's just imperative that they do defend well. And I mean, credit to West Ham because this is now the second big team that they've that they've picked apart um, at the London Stadium. Um, Liverpool being the other big one, uh, and they they just they play without fear, but they also they are so. Good, And I I think watching the Liverpool match, I was, you know, becoming frustrated and emotional with Liverpool, so it didn't allow me to appreciate as much like what West Ham were doing. But watching this match, obviously, with a lot of the emotion removed, it really started to strike me how good this West Ham team are at creating genuinely good chances on the counter. Yeah. Um, it is not an easy thing to do and you don't get a ton of opportunities to do it, but they, every single time that they recover possession and have a chance to counter, it seems like they find the right passes. They find people in space. They create space. Um, Antonio has one where Jared Bowen almost scores the third. Um, I think it was the 60th minute or somewhere in that range, Um, right after West Ham had had equalized essentially um, where Antonio receives the ball on the edge of the box with his back to goal turns Rudiger like totally inside out and beats him to the byline and crosses for Bowen, who is just absolutely like selling out to try to get to the far post and get a stud to the end of this ball. And it doesn't quite get there and it, and it goes past the post, but they create those sorts of chances all the time. And it, and it's, so hard even for really good teams to defend well in transition against a team that is so clinical like in those in those moments yeah. like it's just really hard to defend against um and even for a side as defensively sound as Chelsea they end up getting undone a couple of times on the counter um here and and uh i think they're actually a little bit lucky to still be in this one at the moment, like I think West Ham deserved it. Um, yeah. by the end of the second half, I think they, I think they got what they deserved, even if the goal that that got them the three points was a little bit lucky.
1: Yeah, no, that's fair because I did. I forgot about Boat kind of stretching, you know, <laughs> sacrificing his groin arguably to get to that one <laughs> wasn't to be. So it could have been four two out, yeah, or oh. three two earlier. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, West Ham are just really good value for for their performances right now, and and you can't really look away or or discount them. I think people, myself included, probably thought that the European exploits would, you know, cause them to to slip up in the Premier League, but so far that's not been the case, and they've been playing well on, on every front, so... Fair play to them. And, you know, in a big London derby, that's exactly what the fans want to see. Um, so, you know, it's been a couple worrying performances from Chelsea now. The the draw at United, you know, given all United or, you know, with United, I think they, they hosted that one at Stamford Bridge. But, you know, and then going to the London Stadium, getting beaten like this. Um, I'm sure Tuchel's probably furious because we know how he is. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Chelsea will still be fighting for the title. But I've always said I think this is a city's title. Um, so we'll see.
0: Yeah, West Ham headed uh, into a uh, well. They host Dinamo Zagreb at at the London Stadium on Thursday. That's
1: kind of spicy.
0: Um, but <laughs> West Ham have already confirmed themselves as as group winners uh, in in Group H in in the Europa League. So Zagreb will be looking to solidify their place in second and qualification for the for the knockouts. But uh, yeah, West Ham already comfortably comfortably through as as group winners so um they can relax a little bit uh in in this one and maybe maybe they see we see a little bit of a changed squad from west ham um knowing that they go into uh you know this busy busy festive period with uh a, a bunch of games, um, but they're fighting on all fronts. They're still in the league cup as well. So there <laughs> there's a lot of football being played by the hammers and, and uh, to good effect, they, they did well to bounce back in this one. Cause they had a couple of, they had a little bit of a stumble with the loss to city and a draw to Brighton. So the, the, the right. Chelsea match gets them back on track and um, yeah, David, da- <laughs> David Moyes, um, (laughs) doing his thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, rounding up the rest of, of the table, um, our, our clubs, our clubs, uh, played part in, in dramatic fixtures this week. Um, um, Liverpool leaving it extremely late against Wolves, Divakarigi, the, The match winner again just the man the man for the big occasion (laughs) he loves he loves stoppage time
1: you can't sell him like you really can't because he will just do that like you can expect it so when people want to move him on i'm like why like everyone needs that guy (laughs) yeah
0: it's it's funny too because he was actually i also thought he was very good like Aside from the goal, I thought he was very good once he came on. He was linking play a lot better, just added, like, a lot of energy to the attack. So, um, yeah, Liverpool, no person in this Liverpool team will be more grateful for Origi's winner than Diogo Jota, who had an absolute shocker. (laughs) in front of goal against his old club, um, having won the match at Molyneux last season, he, uh, he fluffed his lines three or four times, most notably with, uh, Jose saw completely out of his goal and two defenders standing on the goal line. Um, Jota fired it straight into the gut of Connor Cody <laughs> rather than, yeah. uh, slotting it either side. So, um, yeah, Jota will be, will be relieved that that uh Origi found the winner, but um uh Newcastle beat Burnley one nil, A really big win for Eddie Howe um in a in a relegation six pointer. Um and yeah, Newcastle actually kinda played Burnley off the park. Um to first be,
1: win of the season, right?
0: And it is their first win of the season. Um which puts them level um level on points with with Burnley and Norwich, who are all on ten points in the relegation zone. So yeah. Interesting <laughs> dynamic developing there. Uh Southampton and Brighton played to a one-one draw. Um oh, this was the Mope just stunner um in the ninety eighth minute.
1: <laughs> after win.
0: after complete <laughs> memory up to that point um <laughs> but yeah 1-1 uh, for 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 Brighton uh at St Mary's um City beat Watford 3-1 comfortable um comfortable for City and uh Bernardo Silva a, a brace and he's been in really good form um for City uh as they they got the result at Vicarage Road Leeds and Brentford played to a two-two draw, and this was this was dramatic in that uh well it was looking like Leeds took the lead, then it was looking like Leeds were throwing it away again as Brentford went went ahead. Um a goal goals from Baptiste and and Kanos um for Brentford. And then 95th minute, Patrick Bamford uh popped up with the equalizer, and he went nuts, and so did sporting director, Victor Orta, who, uh, many will remember from the Amazon Leeds documentary. Um, he started having a verbal altercation with a Leeds fan, like from the director's box after the <laughs> equalizer went in, Cause I guess he, they had been getting abuse, like for some of the game. And so there were, there, he was caught on camera, like by the broadcast, like going absolutely like ape shit at after Bamford's equalizer, just screaming fan. Um, yeah. Wild scenes at, at Allen road (laughs) as Leeds continue to hover like just above the relegation zone, but they are, they are six points clear of, of the relegation zone. So they're not, not in dire trouble yet.
1: I think there are worse teams than them for sure. Um, and they are about to be bought significantly by the 49ers. So what's yeah, going way. on at Ellen Road.
0: Seems that way. I think they have been like minority owners up till now. Yeah. And I guess they're they're taking. Um,
1: Andrea Raditzani. Yeah. Of taking his
0: shares, his shares um, or yeah, most of his shares. Um, yeah. That'll be interesting to see how that how that dynamic changes, changes leads. Um, Spurs got three, 0 win against Norwich. Um, Stevie G's Aston Villa continue, continue to win two, one against Leicester city. Um, as he met Brendan Rodgers, his old boss at, at Liverpool. Um, who, reportedly, they didn't have the best relationship uh, by the end of, Brendan's tenure, so um
1: Yeah, I was pretty stoic at the at full time, the handshake between them. But uh, <laughs> you know, Lester, I think we're not maybe not unlucky, but like the Emmy Martinez had to make his wage this game. He pulled out some really good stops. Yeah. So um yeah, Villa look like they're 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 doing really well under Stevie G, so fair play to him.
0: Yeah, Ezri Consa got, got the brace to to win it for Villa and then just today uh Everton got a 2-1 win against Arsenal um most notably the there were a couple of potential red cards Mike Dean may have missed in this one
1: yeah we talked about it a lot during the break it's just shocking like Tomiyasu gets stepped on literally his face gets stepped on and nothing Tavares gets clattered into not even a card i just it's not the reason why arsenal lost yeah but I mean, if we lose those players to injury, like that doesn't do us any good right. down the stretch either. And, and you know, in the festive period where the fixtures are like every four days, like it's just you hate to see that kind of stuff and just so tired of, of these kind of officiating decisions or lack thereof. I mean, the players are just not being protected. And, I mean, we hear Jurgen Klopp talk about this mm-hmm. um, at, at length. And he's right because these kind of things keep happening, and so yeah, yeah. the The result sucks, but the violence that was committed at Goodison Park sucks as well. So
0: I I sympathize. Um, <laughs> violence, I'm at sure you <laughs> violence at Goodison, violence at Goodison can ruin a season. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of violence, Damari Gray hit an absolute ripper to win it in the ninety second minute. Uh, this was this was an angry goal
1: to borrow a term
0: from from stadio
1: (laughs) (laughs) definitely was an angry goal um and he's been like a bargain for everton um i don't think anyone expected him to play as well as he has done him and andros townsend um in what's been a really challenging season to be fair to everton um at, you know, like I kind of don't understand what Everton fans expect? Question mark. Like I don't, I don't really know what they want because they, they, they're parentally like unhappy. <laughs> and, um, I was, I saw this like graphic floating around about like all these various demands they have for like Farhad Mashiri and it's just like, what do you want? Like I don't right. to be in Europe. Like I guess I, I don't know. But Marcel Brands is out. So you yeah. know he's out as sporting director, so there's change certainly in the blue blue part of Merseyside and hey, they mark his departure with a win. So Yeah.
0: It'll be interesting to see if if the plan is to hand the reins to Benitez, like more mm. because he that's typically how he's operated, um, is as the the full spectrum, you know, old school English approach of he, you know, is the director of he football picks, and the yeah, manager the as well. So, yeah, it's a it'll be interesting to see um, if that's the model they they adopt and they had because Benitez hasn't really had the full reins at a team, I don't think. I mean, Newcastle, arguably, mm. um although there's a lot of restrictions when he was at Newcastle, certainly not at Chelsea um, in his like weird short tenure there. Um, And uh, a lot of weird ownership stuff, even at the end of his tenure at Liverpool. So it'll be interesting if Everton's ownership, just kind of give him the keys and say, you know, this is your team now and figure it out. Um, Certainly it wouldn't, it would take away some of the ambiguity in terms of whether, he deserves to keep the job or not, uh, you know, going forward, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, it's an interesting move from, from Everton. And I think an admission that the, you know, similar to United, like clubs are coming to these realizations. And I think like pulling the trigger finally on, Hey, we need to admit like that the way we've been doing business hasn't worked. Um, so yeah, it, it, I think a positive move for Everton and we'll see if they can get the next, the next part. Right. Um, which easier said than done, but, um, but yeah, I mean a good three points in terms of just like restoring some amount of faith, uh, in the, the Benitez era, which was looking pretty doomed post Merseyside Derby. Um, right. And now a little life breathes back in maybe, Um, so the premier league table, it is, it is a, it's tight at the top, (laughs) similar to Italy. Uh, but the three teams at the top, it's city on 35 points, Liverpool, 34 points, Chelsea, 33 points. Um, and then West Ham and Tottenham, um, in, the top five with United and Arsenal sitting just a couple of points outside that. So you kind of have two of these mini leagues sort of developing where I'd say almost like fourth through eighth, maybe wolves within six points. Eh, maybe not. I don't know, but, um, yeah. but yeah, the group at the top and then the group, the group in, you know, fourth through eighth. Um, and then you have this mid table, just like mosh pit. Um <laughs> of team from Brighton all the way down to Southampton separated. That's ninth to 16th separated by four points. Um, so yeah, it's just an absolute mess, um, in the middle of the table. And then Burnley, Newcastle, Norwich, um, down at the bottom. Um, you know, we say our, our prayers every night that Burnley remain in the bottom three. And
1: to get Burnley fans in your mentions again <laughs> good <laughs> let, them let, come. Them come.
0: Yeah. let them come yeah <laughs> uh, yeah no I uh they had their fun with with Dice out in the snow um and uh and and now they they will uh hopefully continue to well their journey back to back to the levels of football that they belong at
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: this is like far too harsh, but um, well, I think on to Spain now.
1: On to Spain,
0: and there's really only one place to start, and that is with a club near and dear to your heart. Real Betis went to the camp now and came away with a win, uh, a 1 0 win, courtesy of a one me winner, um, about 11 minutes from time. And uh, this this was a little bit of a smash and grab from Betis, but the type of result that they've not really gotten in recent years. Like, they don't do these sort of, like, big away victories very often. They And not in a... Clean sheets. Right, I was going to say. And not in such a pragmatic style as they did against Barcelona.
1: Yeah, I mean... I, I can see why you'd call it a smash and grab for sure, because it is you know at Camp nou against a, a you know a team that you expect to probably win in FC Barcelona, despite all the kind of turmoil and the change um, for the Blaugrana. But the goal itself is beautiful. Oh, like, it, it's great! Gorgeous, gorgeous, Just chef's kiss. Um, so many ex-Barca involved in this Real <laughs> Betis side and in the goal. I mean, you have Hector Bellerin, you've got Marc Bartra, um, Christian Teo, just all up and down the, the squad. There's a lot of ex-Barca, um, so that made it a little bit sweeter as well. And Juan Mi can't stop scoring. Eight goals now for the Spaniard. Best Spanish striker in the world. And that's just a fact right now. Um, <laughs> um, With so, the yeah. best
0: Spanish midfielder as well as Sergio Canales. so
1: Facts. Like, best <laughs> player in the world. Robbed of the Ballon d'Or. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, Barca had most of the ball, which you probably can expect. They're at home. Um, and it's Barcelona at the end of the day. Really interesting tactics, too, from Xavi, I thought. Because he's really, like, leaning into, like, wide play. And, yeah. like, wide players, um, which I don't know that you necessarily associate with, like, Barcelona or Xavi, really. Um, and, yeah, yeah I he's mean, playing with, like, chalk on the boots wingers. Yeah,
0: like, his, you know, you think of, like, the sides that won every trophy under the sun with Xavi as a captain and and Pep Guardiola. Like, Pedro and Messi played wide. And Samuel Eto played wide, like no one, yeah. Thierry Henry, like even going back a little bit further, like strikers played in those positions,
1: right? Yeah, <laughs> like right, not right, wingers. right, and came exactly, yes, and came like inside and really wanted to like build in the middle of the park and the tiki taka and all this. But yeah. like he's using, and I get it because he's got like youth in those areas, so he figures I should capitalize on their pace, and I get that. Um, but. Yeah, I just I just thought it was really interesting because it was the first time I ever really, like, watched Xavi's Barca, like, for the whole 90-plus minutes. Yeah. And, you know, the team is really young. There's obviously going to be an adaptation period. Whether Barca's board or Barca's fans have the stomach or the nerve for that, we'll see. I think yeah. you have to give Xavi some time. Um, but, yeah, it's just a great result for Betis. Um, and, yeah, an atypical one, as you were right to point out, because, like, Bartra and Ruiz played like fucking prime Benucci and Killiani. Betsy's defense is always there, Achilles' heel, and they were just really, really solid. Yeah. Um, And yeah. And and Usman Dembele. Like, I just need to point out that like he came on and was excellent. So it wasn't straightforward necessarily towards the end there. So a healthy Usman is a scary proposition potentially.
0: I am I am excited to see because. Chavi specifically named him as yeah. someone that he, you know, I think we spoke about even when, when Xavi first took over that Dembele seemed to be central to his plans. And I just, I hope he can stay healthy because I do think I, I just think about the period of time when he was really emerging on the scene and like, especially right after his transfer to Dortmund we were seeing like a genuine two footed player who scored and assisted a bunch of goals, like at a high level. And I was thinking at that time, like we are seeing the next, like, this is the guy who's going to win the Ballon d'Or Like he's going to be the messy Ronaldo like level. It's going to be him and Mbappe like trading Ballon yeah. d'Ors, And it's been so funny, like, and, you know, not funny, I guess, but you know, it's been so interesting to watch, how these other factors play such a part and his transfer to Barca and all of the circumstances surrounding that, like leaving a pretty comfortable and like good situation at Dortmund for the, you know, they, they get the money um, for him, but multiple managerial changes, lots of injury problems and just like a general, like trouble adapting, I guess, like ever since he arrived if he's going to be made the the main man, I'm just really interested to see like how he gets on. And yeah, when he came on in this one, it, it, it looked like every time the ball was at his feet, something was capable of happening. And uh, he came really close to scoring a couple of belters. So,
1: yeah,
0: um, so yeah, it, it'll be really interesting to see how he gets on, but this is also a really good result for Betis and they are third now.
1: Yeah. I mean, We'll get on to like Atleti and stuff, but because I think La Liga actually is probably a foregone conclusion, but Betis back in the Champions League potentially, like that could be lit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, fantastic result for Betis.
0: Well, let's talk Atleti because, yeah, Betis leapfrog Atleti by virtue of this result and Atleti losing to Mallorca in the Wanda.
1: I- I mean something is not right at Atletico Madrid this season, especially defensively, which is like sounds sacrilegious to even say, but <laughs> I mean Stefan Savage, arguably their best defender, gets injured in this one. Yeah. Never want to see that, obviously. They have one healthy center back going into uh the Porto game, I think, in in Felipe or in, in Mario Hermoso, who kind of plays on the left as well. Right. Josema, Chema Jimenez, always injured. I think he actually has the potential to be like a world-class player, but he just cannot stay healthy. Felipe's form is erratic. Jan Oblak looks human this season, which is weird. Um, And yeah, Atleti fans are, you know, coming off of winning La Liga, I think you can't. You can't overstate like how huge that is, because for th- the longest time it was just a, a two-horse race, and 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 Diego Simeone and this Athletic board have really made themselves that third team in, in Spain. Um, but Athletic fans seem to be like criticizing um, Marin and Enrique Cerezo a lot more recently, kind of accusing them of saying, you know, you only. Care about the bottom line, like as long as the club is like financially st- sound. Like one of them said, um, I, I I don't remember which one it was, but basically something along the lines of, yeah, I'd let the exiting the Champions League wouldn't be a disaster. And it's like, if you want to be like that giant club, like you cannot be saying things like that. Like what do you, what are you trying to transmit to your fans? You know, because they're last right now in their group, um, and actually Liverpool can probably. Have a say in them going home from the Champions League, um, in the group stage. So, yeah, the the feeling among Atleti fans, I think, is not really positive right now. And I think honestly, it's Real Madrid's title to lose, uh, following their win against Real Sociedad at Ar- But, um, shout out Kubo though for the breakaway goal. Like it was really well well taken, and yeah. the youngster, the young Japanese, uh, you know, showing serious composure in in a you know, a really tough away fixture. So
0: yeah, yeah. And and the Majorca squad in general, I mean, they go behind in the sixty eighth. It's a really scrappy goal from Mateus Cunha, who, to be fair, like has not really kicked on like since joining. He still seems to be kind of like coming to grips with being at, at Leti.
1: Right. And he doesn't start week in, week out. So yeah.
0: Yeah, it's been it's been a little bit yeah, stop start for him. He gets a scrappy goal. There's only 20 minutes left, so it feels like maybe a foregone conclusion that it led he would would see that out. And 10 minutes later, Majorca get a goal off a set piece, good header, like, and all of a sudden. You know Atleti start to get a little nervy and all the, and, and, they and have yeah to come
1: out, yeah, yeah,
0: and takekubo uh hits him on the break, and like you said composure comp- composure through the roof um to stare down Jan Oblak and and score in the Wanda that's not not an easy task um and for Majorca, a vital three points because again you know they are newly promoted and and they're gonna um take all. <laughs> all the points they can get it brought them up to 12th um and yeah knocks atleti who looked early like they you know were in the conversation again uh for for the title uh knocked, knocked them quite a distance down and they're now 10 points adrift yeah. of of their city rivals real madrid um who are at the top of the table and although atleti do have a game in hand 10 points is a sizable uh sizable gap from uh, especially this early in the season um yeah, to and, emerge uh, I
1: think i'd be shocked if Real madrid somehow tumble down from that um i think they've built up enough of the lead, and then the the gap between them and barca is like 16 points so yeah it's it's madrid's title to lose i think um yeah
0: yeah vinicius the the storyline um for for Madrid uh we've gone from he's playing against us to now Vinicius is a keystone of of this <laughs> of this Madrid side
1: I can't remember like a player having like that quick of an improvement yeah um see like from one season to the next like it's been incredible but yeah, yeah he's a baller
0: yeah i mean it's like the level of the level of transformation would be if like the season that Iago Aspas spent at Liverpool, if the next season he was their top scorer, like,
1: right. like if he had right. made
0: that sort of transformation or not only their top score, like in the running for top score, like in the premier league, like, <laughs> like, like becoming right. a top player. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been unbelievable. I'm happy for him. Cause obviously you don't want to see any player like memed out of a job or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, by
1: your fucking teammate. No, less. Yeah. Oh my God.
0: Uh, and uh, yeah, he's actually, I mean, to be fair, he's kind of, he's kind of been the, the one to pick up the slack. Not to say that Ben Benzema obviously is still operating at a quite high level, Um but hasn't been scoring with quite the regularity and and vinny has stopped or stepped into that into that role um for this madrid side who who are comfortably top now in in la liga um elsewhere uh granada beat alaves uh 2-1 sevilla beat Villarreal. real i know you and always enjoy Villarreal being humbled <laughs> to an extent. So Sevilla, <laughs> Sevilla got the one, no win Lucas Acampos, uh, the, the lone goal scorer in that one. Um, Viacano beat Espanol, um, and Viacano continued to just put a, a nice campaign together. Um, sitting sixth, um, yeah, so yeah. And that's
1: all Andoni oh well not all, but like a lot of that is Andoni Iraola's coaching because the, the squad's like nothing too special, but they're just in fine form.
0: Yeah. And they're only two points uh behind Atleti in fourth. Um and I'm sure the, the Ryo ultras, the, those in Viacca, are I'm sure are salivating at the prospect of potentially leapfrogging at Leti. Um, mm-hmm. that would be dreamland. Um, <laughs> LJ beat Cadiz uh, three, one, uh, Levante and Osasuna played to a nil, nil draw Valencia two one. Uh, they, they beat Celta and
1: <laughs> I watched this one.
0: Yeah. This so was wild. this is a weird game,
1: bizarre, like absolutely bizarre. Two mistakes, uh, two gifts uh, to allow Valencia back into the game. Um, <laughs> I don't even know. Like it was the weirdest game. Like Valencia were not like anywhere near like awesome, but yeah. uh, you know they get the two gifts from from Celta and uh, Yago Ostaba scored a beautiful goal to open the scoring and then got injured on that same play. Um, Seemingly his like inner thigh, like groin area, Um, which as we know, Aspas is Salta <laughs> <laughs> in a lot of ways. He scores nearly half their goals. Yeah. So him missing is, is huge for, for Chachukude's side and uh, their side. And I don't know where they go from here because the, the options Um, are not great in in Aspas' stead. Um, Danny Suarez coming in for some criticism, not having contributed in the way they would have liked. The defense is kind of shocking at times, Nestor Araujo and and, and Murillo and and the like. Um, Yeah, Celta contrived to to lose this one. And they're terrible at home. Like, they are (laughs) bad at Balaidos, and I don't know why. But yeah, Valencia are going to be happy that they, they can come away from from vigo with with all three points
0: Aspas also made like a 500 iq play in this one in that he scores the Golasso, hurts himself and realizes like oh, i'm probably gonna i'm probably gonna be out for a little bit so he takes his shirt off to get a yellow card because he was one yellow card away from suspension for accumulation <laughs> and now he will be able to rehab while he serves his suspension, um, in the next game.
1: Just galaxy brained it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that resets the count. So now he, now he gets to accumulate yellows on the when he returns from injury without, uh, without playing on the edge. It's, I mean,
1: yeah, incredible.
0: Yeah. It, he's set, he set out a marker in terms of, in terms of the, uh, like manipulating the, the laws of the game. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, a, a valuable, valuable points for Valencia, but Valencia, the conversation around Valencia is, is quite different this season in that they are. And this primarily like, uh, admittedly, most of my conversation with Valencia fans happens through our listener, Jay Konecki, uh, who <laughs> like, is the voice of Valencia as far as I'm concerned in, in many respects, um, they're eighth. And they're only one point behind Barca. The mood around the club though, is still not like great. If (laughs) there's still a lot of question marks with the squad, despite the fact that they are in the top half and are not that far away from like, European places and and the like.
1: Yeah, yeah. When you see where they are on the table, it's like, well, it's not bad. But when you watch Valencia, you're like, this is dog shit. Like they are so, <laughs> they are really hard, to, not because they're bad, but because the football is bleak. Like it's yeah. annoying to watch. Like their <laughs> tactic is shirt pulling. And like yeah. when you see the names in the squad, um, Soler, Gaia. Gonzalo Gage, like all these talented yeah. players who have very high Vas. feelings, like Vaz, like playing like this, you're just like, bruh, <laughs> <laughs> like this is so ugly, but don't do at the same time. Yeah. But at the same time, can you really argue with the, the table position? I don't know. Like, um, you know, and, and Jake and others kind of make a lot of know, Musa not getting as many minutes as perhaps he deserves. And yeah. I understand that because he will add that attacking flair to the game, but, that obviously is not what Pepe Borrelas is looking for uh, in a lot of these games. So I don't know. (laughs) Like it's, it's a, it's a tough watch Valencia are, but I think, I think if you want stability, relative stability for now, given everything that's gone on off the pitch for Valencia, like you can't be too upset.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think unfortunately, and obviously Valencia fans who have any sort of, like history with the club will certainly not want to hear the yeah. fact that survival is good enough at the moment, but I do think like the long-term goal, unfortunately with this team is going to end up, there needs to be like a takeover of some kind, um, for sure, them to, right. for them to truly prosper. Cause this ownership group is, is just not,
1: not it. No.
0: Um, too many weird like erratic decisions um from the board to to have any sort of real stability so unfortunately like border loss makes total sense as the (laughs) the guy to just make sure that they don't go down um while they're in turmoil right and yeah top half and they get they get the win it's uh yeah bad news for for celta though and um as we look at the table um yeah, Real Madrid have created a gap at the top. Sevilla sitting second, uh Real Betis third, and and Atleti fourth, level on points with Real Sociedad uh in fifth, who have hit a real a real rough patch um now, winless in three, and I think only one win in five. Um they've also struggled in the Europa League um and i don't know actually they play PSV on Thursday in the Europa League and they need they need to win to advance um so um it is in San Sebastian so Right. maybe maybe a better chance but they had they still are in with a chance of going through but they need a win and i think sociedad unfortunately the story there is that the goals have the goals have dried up and like they're just struggling to create good chances um in, in that yeah, but- side right now um but yeah they're 5th and Viacano 6th Barca 7th and Valencia 8th um down at the other end Villarreal has dropped to 13th um and after they were at pretty lofty heights to start the season so um they are yeah they are struggling and i don't know if the champions league has like sent them off their axis or or what but um but yeah it's been bad in in for for the yellow submarine.
1: Yeah, and their fans are really growing tired of when I am Eddie, so
0: they're we'll like see. maybe we
1: didn't want your loyalty. Should have gone to Newcastle. <laughs> 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 we'll see.
0: Uh Hatafe uh Hitafe and Levante um down in the relegation places. Um Cotty's still very much in with a chance of, of getting out, as is Hitafe to be fair, only three points from safety, but Levante are, are drifting, um, further and further out and they just can't seem to buy a win at the moment. So, um, yeah, it looks like Levante will be, will be playing their trade in the second division probably next season. But, um, but that is, that is Spain. And, uh, I think that about brings us to the end, um, of the episode, which means Mika, we have our sounds of the season playlist, uh, which is a Spotify playlist that we add tracks to each week. Um, and we've got a couple more tracks a piece here. What, um, what sort of tracks are you adding to the playlist this week?
1: Yeah. So my first one is a song called second sucks by a day to remember. One of A Remember's, like, heavier songs.
0: I fucking love the song so much. It's
1: such a good song, <laughs> yeah. And you know, do you know the backstory?
0: Of the song? Of it? Oh, yeah. No, I don't know that I do. It is
1: a diss track. <laughs> it's a diss track to Four Years Strong. Oh.
0: So I <laughs> so also like Four like, Years Strong.
1: <laughs> so do I. So it's just like, fuck it. But, um... Apparently, they had some beef on, like, a tour they went on years ago. Um, And I guess Forger Strong's response to that is Paul Revere's Midnight Ride. But um, Mm. I picked this one because there are a lot of, uh, you know, it reminded me of the uh, uh, Venezia-Los Verona, like, the Derby. Just the insane, like, rivalry there and and how that ended up after Venezia were 3-0 up going down 4-3. Yeah. (laughs) so I picked that song to reflect my feelings on that, as well as as well as their classic,er of course. Mm-hmm. Um, my second song is "I'll Make It to the Brigades." by love, hate, hero. I mean, this is a, this song is about burnout and like questioning whether your passion is still your passion, and it kind of just reminded me of Diego Simeone because, like, every time Atleti score a goal nowadays, he looks like exhausted by the whole thing <laughs> and it's like is the magic wearing off there yeah so no those are,
0: those are good choices also love hey hero is such a good throwback like um always their logo is very like iconic yeah, for um for
1: sure what do you got phil
0: i have uh first a song by protest the hero um from their first full length album Kazaya um it's a song called Blindfolds Aside which is how Dortmund are feeling um about Sviers performance uh great song it is one of my one of my favorite albums ever because of the whole concept of it it's a whole story and about this prisoner who's treated unjustly and stuff so anyways <laughs> So that like fed into this of of like the judgment and and all that sort of stuff, and that song and video in particular just is there's very uh yeah, one of the first real like i guess bands of that sort of style the the they transformed into more of like a mathy like technical metal band um Prog, but rock
1: at, type thing yeah. at
0: this point in their development they were somewhere between like math rock and like hardcore punk so mm-hmm. it it's just a really cool it, such a good song and re- really good really good album um and then I'm sorry i had to do this but i had i picked a song by the band structures uh called 6 <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: man (laughs) um
0: no so uh yeah it was just uh it seemed too fitting but this is um (laughs) structures had a couple of releases back in the day like in the early 2010s and then they went on hiatus and like never came back and then this past year they released an ep um one of those bands that used the quarantine to like reconnect and like re-energize and like work through whatever caused the hiatus i guess so they got back together they they dropped this ep and this track in particular um features brendan murphy who's the lead singer of counterparts um and structures are also oh i i realized i went full canadian so shout out Alfonso Davies, <laughs> I guess, uh, because <laughs> protest the hero and structures are both Canadian bands. Uh, now that I think about it. Um, but anyways, six is an extremely heavy track <laughs> um, nice. that that structure is dropped. And so, um, yeah, it is, uh, it's just one of those fun ones. Um, if you're, if you're into heavy music, there's just some nice breakdowns to, to bop your head to. Um and uh yeah, just kind of a an angry, heavy foil to Blindfolds Aside, which is a much more like frantic and uh less like heavy um song. But yeah, so so that's what I got. Um nice. Yeah, you guys can find the playlist yourself on Spotify, just search uh Sounds of the Season. And you should be able to find it. And uh this is season two, and it's it's growing, growing exponentially.
1: It is, yeah. I we've Sizable, got
0: a formidable Sizable lead out <laughs> here, yeah. Building quite the quite the body of work. And between that and season one, which you can still find also, um, hours and hours of music, um, if you so choose. So um, yeah, check it out, follow it. And it'll update in your Spotify without you having to do anything, and you can just hit shuffle and and enjoy a smattering of alternative music that <laughs> that me and Mika have have selected, have curated for you. Um, but that it's
1: now at uh, two hours of okay, June's,
0: okay, so. yeah, we're yeah. we're getting up there. I think I think the first one by the end of it, it ended at like.
1: It was almost, it was seven and a half hours.
0: Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we're, we're doing, uh, we're getting there as far as season two, but, um, but yeah, definitely check that out and, uh, and check us out as well. Um, while you're there or whichever podcast platform you listen to, um, follow, like, subscribe, rate, review, whatever the platform allows you to do for the podcast. It, it, uh, yeah, just helps us reach. More people and grow this little, this little thing that we've done, um, and grow the little community, which is always fun. And then, uh, and you can follow us on Twitter at HXC Football. Um, and uh, yeah, with Champions League coming up this week, obviously a ton, a ton of storylines there. Um, Atleti at the center of that because they need a result to go through against yep. Porto but also Liverpool's game against AC Milan will have, will have implications. Um, so yeah, some, some really, uh, interesting (laughs) storylines in the champions league and, and things will be playing out over the next couple of days, um, in Europe that, that will shape, uh, the coming weekends, but, um, yeah, we'll be following it all with interest and, uh, hopefully until we talk to you next time, everybody, has a good week and, and uh, we will talk to you soon.
1: See ya.